Wow, thank you for the worship. <clears throat> I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 again. I wanted to start with an announcement. I want uh, to announce that I am madly, madly, madly in love with my wife. I don't dare say that in private. She just attacks me. So. <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you. I think I revealed way too much here. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, uh, down through verse 48. And thank you for, I always uh, feel like saying thank you for your patience in walking through this material because it's radically changing my life and uh, uh, speaking to me. <clears throat> and we're dealing particularly today with, uh, in the, in, with the concept found in verse 49. So we're moving along uh, in the passage. But uh, let's begin reading at verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's pray together. Uh, we tremble, Jesus, at the words. They're so radical. They're so off the wall. They're so far out. Uh, in our helplessness, we look at it and declare impossible. Can't be too high of a standard. Nobody could. And then you came and filled a man called Jesus. And you lived the whole thing. And told us that we could be filled with what he was filled with. And that what went on in him could go on in us. And that we had the possibility of having your mind and your heart. And that you were inviting us into your nature. Thank you, Jesus. Christianity is not some religious thing, not some rule to keep, not some pattern to follow, not some, not some ceremonies to do. Thank you for a Christianity. Thank you for a relationship. Thank you for an intimacy with yourself that literally could spill your nature through us. So God, we pray for our gathering today and we pray for every single one of us. We're all in different scenes and in the midst of different relationships and in the midst of different progresses and life experiences. And oh God, for an outpouring of the Spirit of God, for you to confront me and every single one of us with the wonder of your love and who you are. And would you draw us into your heart today? Would you just bring us into your throbbing being that we might feel and know and sense and experience you in this hour? 
Let your word do its work in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, the fundamental message of the Bible is God is love. There isn't any question about that. Everywhere you go in the scriptures, you come back to this amazing factor of love. And as we've stated in times past, it's a little, uh, it's a little ambiguous. It's a little, hey, you stand up and say love and everybody thinks of their own definition and concept of love. And of course, the Bible's very specific on what it considers love. You know that there are four Greek words in the scriptures that declare love. And one of them, of course, is a sexual type of thing, most basic uh, pattern of love, which has sensuality about it. Uh, one is brotherly love, uh, the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That, that's the Greek word phileo. And of course, there's family love. Uh, we're brothers and sisters and we love. Father and mother, we love. So there's that kind of love. But when they came to this love of God, it had to be different. Because it didn't fit into any of those categories like it should. Uh, those all could be engrossed into this. But there was something so radically different. This wasn't tickles up and down your spine. This love that God is declaring to us in the scriptures is way beyond that. It has the idea of, and they call it agape love. Which is the words that are being used in our passage. And the agape love was in a category all of itself. In fact, there is no agape love outside of God. So if there's any agape love going on anywhere, it's because God is there. There's no question about it. So it emanates out of him. So real true love comes from the very essence of the person of God himself. So even the ungodly man who loves his wife does it because God has touched that relationship. So there is no pure love outside of the love of God himself. And the love of God himself that we're talking about, agape, is on a higher level because it moves beyond emotion. It's not about tickles up and down your spine. It's not about your chemistry jives with mine and I feel good when I'm around you. It's not about you love me and I love you, therefore uh, uh, love is present. It's not loving those who love you kind of thing. It's not emotional can be but it's not emotional at its base at its base is this idea of absolute total commitment uh, it's a almost a mental spiritual internal commitment of the self in other words it's a love that says I'm committing myself to you I have decided I'm going to love you and you can't stop me doesn't matter what you do because who you are and what you do hasn't produced it therefore it doesn't, isn't going to stop it so nothing you've ever done will be good enough to make God love you therefore nothing you've ever will do will make him, will, will make him stop loving you so you didn't do anything good so he would love you. You can't do anything bad that will make him stop you loving you. Because <laughs> it isn't about you. He has decided in himself, I'm going to love you. And the love of God is generated from himself and his own nature. And that nature is a self-sacrificing, self-giving, never ever think about yourself kind of love. You comprehend that? That there at the heart of the universe is an aggressive loving God who literally, has, who literally has committed himself to you and says, I am out for your best. I'm out for your best. And I'm going to be self-sacrificing, self-giving. I'm never thinking about myself. I'm always going to be thinking about you. And he is literally aggressively pouring his life out in your behalf. 
So when we're talking about love in this passage, that's the love we're talking about. We're not talking, talking about being giddy. We're not talking about tickles up and down the spine. We're not talking about emotional. We're not talking about sometimes but not other times. We're talking about an inward commitment of the very nature of the person that says, hey, I am out for your benefit and my love is going to be selfless, self-sacrificing, self-giving and I'm never ever going to think about myself within the relationship. Yeah. Now, honestly... My concept of love has been jaded because I have been in relationships and had experiences with people and I haven't seen this. So to come into this passage and say, okay, is this possible? <laughs> is, is there really a God who loves like this? Or are we just making this up? And of course I am here to convince you. But then you never argue anybody into this. So I don't know that the convincing can be done. Except he must come and warm your heart himself and convince you. But everywhere you go in the scriptures, the scriptures is yelling at you that this is the truth. This is what love is all about. This is the heart of the matter. And this is the core of the nature of God himself. God is love, selfless, self-sacrificing, never thinking about himself, always pouring himself out, always giving himself for you. This is the love of God. Now, of course, the premise of the Sermon on the Mount is that this God, who has this kind of a nature that we've just tried to describe to you, comes to me and I am absolutely helpless. My nature is a helpless nature. I have no ability. If I take a knife again and slice you down the middle and go to the core of your insides, what do I find? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> you have no resource. You can't pull this off. You can't get this done. You can't be the person you ought to be, you want to be. You can't, you have desires you can't accomplish. Life is bigger than you are. You, you and I have been beaten to death by a life. We've, sometimes I've crouched down and said, I think somebody out there hates me. Because <laughs> life is beyond me. Because I'm helpless. And I can work as hard as I want to work and never, never, never pull this thing together. So the premise of the Sermon on the Mount is if I will embrace my helplessness, he in his overwhelming nature, this nature of love, will literally come and merge with me and I can become an intimate, I can become an intimate relationship with the person of God. And a new creature can be created. I can't be this on my own. He can't be this on his own. But together we become this new thing. How will this new thing act? Well, it'll act according to the nature of God. So I will love my enemies. That's the, that's his premise. Now, if he'd have left it just like that, if he'd have just said, love your enemies, be a son of God, God lets the rain shine on the just and on the unjust, and the sun to shine, God lets the sun shine on the just and on the unjust, and rain falls on the, on the good and the bad. Hey, if he'd have just left it there, if, I would have been happy. Because I think I could have massaged it and adjusted it. There was, there's some wiggle room there. 
see? That I could have said, well, um, I didn't kill him. See, I could, I could have fit into that category. But he took this whole thing, which is what we want to talk about today. He took this whole thing and put it in a context where there is no wiggle room. He put it in a setting. He didn't leave it out there in a vacuum. He didn't leave it in the spiritual world. He didn't leave it out there. He drug it in here and said, I want to put it in a setting that you will understand. And I want to show you how it works in this setting. And he gives us, he begins in this setting by giving us verse 46, which is what we want to talk about. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not, even the tax collectors, do the same. Now, there's an amazing concept here. The first aspect of the concept is compulsion. Compulsion. Do you see in the passage that he is talking about there is a compulsion in every single individual for love and to love? There is something at the heart of every single individual that pushes them, is attracted to, wants, desires, has to have. That love is like oxygen to the lungs. Love is like, oh, I cannot survive without it. I have to love whether I want to or not. And I need love whether I think I do or not. Love is such a basic integrated feature of the human personality. That it is a compulsion within the being. Now the way he does this is he says, do not even the tax collectors. <laughs> do you know who the tax collectors are? They are the scum. They are the dregs. They are the worst in the Jewish society. They are the worst individual in the whole Jewish pattern. There's nobody. If you're going to talk about the down and outer, the, the one that you want to step on, the one that's the lowest on the totem pole, if you want to talk about the guy who is the worst of the worst of the worst, the tax collector is the guy. Even that guy loves. Which tells you that this is a basic drive in the human heart for, of every single one of us. And hey, I've, I've said at times, oh man, I'm manly, I'm tough, I hate, I don't need it. That was a joke. Come on, that was a joke. Hey, I'm a just, I'm just, I'll be by myself, I can handle it. That was a joke. Because at the basic core of the system of life itself, all relationships have some kind of element of love going on. It's an essential ingredient. This was, what, 30, 40 years ago. They instituted this program in the hospitals for the newborn babies. They just, they got these, these grandmas, these volunteers to come. Just sit in a rocking chair and hold the baby. Because bonding... 
the baby, the baby's thirst, the baby's got healthier, the baby's, the baby's grew. Why? Because there was somebody holding them. There was bonding, there was embracing, there was love, there was, because it's so ingrained. It wasn't words spoken, it wasn't songs sung, it wasn't tickles up and down the spine. It was, oh, I have you kind of thing. That every single individual, that's basic in the human personality. And you can be as tough as you want to be, man. But down at the core of your system, that thing is crying out in your insides. And they're all relationships. Come back to this fundamental compulsion of this, of this, of this love thing. Not Again, we're not talking about tickles them down your spine. We're not talking about giddy. We're not talking about, we're not talking about Valentine. We're talking about God's love, this intimacy. Now, you may want to say, and I tried to think of arguments about this. You may want to say, uh, well, hey, I live in, uh, hey, I, 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 know I have all kinds of relationships where love is not present. For instance, I go down to the factory, man. I work for an employer. I don't know him. I don't hang out with him. I don't eat dinner with him. I hardly ever see him. He pays my paycheck. I punch in. I punch out. There is no... But see, that isn't, that isn't Bible. You know what the Bible is? The Bible is, oh, that I am to walk down there and I don't work for that employer. I work for Jesus. <laughs> he is my employer. And in the middle of that relationship, whether the employer wants to be loved or not, I'm going to self-sacrifice, self-giving, pour my life out, never think about myself in my job. Why? Because I'm not working for that boy. I'm working for God himself. And within that relationship of employer and employee there is this dynamic of love that is taking place see everywhere you go there was this guy by the name of Onesimus he was a slave and he escaped from his master and went off and as God would design it he ran across the path of the Apostle Paul. And of course before Paul got done with him. The boy was confronted with Jesus. And gave his life to Christ. And became a Christian. So Onesimus is now a Christian. So Paul wrote this letter. It's only one chapter in the Bible. To Philemon his master. Just wrote this one, one, one chapter. A letter that Onesimus was to take. As he went back. To the master he had escaped from. How is the master going to accept him? How is, what's the relationship going to be like? How will he be treated in all of this? What, what will take place in all of this? He took this letter and he took it back. And he meant, of course, Philemon and the letter. Oh, listen to the letter. Paul says to Philemon about Onesimus, the slave. Therefore, though I may be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting... Hey, I could be bold. I could look you in the eye, Philemon, and say, Hey, here's how you ought to act. Here's the attitude you ought to have. Come on, here's the rule. Here's the command. I, I could do that. But he said, I'm not going to. He says, for love's sake, I appeal to you. And then in the next few verses, he said, 
because Onesimus is a beloved brother. <laughs> what would that do to slavery? I'm the master. You're the slave. But you're my beloved brother. <laughs> See what that does to everything? It just changes everything. See, it, all relationships somehow... Hey, and if you're my beloved brother, I'm not talking about tickles them down your spine. I'm not talking about, oh, I feel good about you. I'm not talking about chemistry. I'm talking about selfless, self-sacrificing, self-giving love that pours its life out and says, you are my beloved brother. See, that, that's at the heart, guys, of every single relationship. And do you realize that there is nothing that's going to be eternal in your life, and by eternal I mean forever and ever and ever and ever, but relationship. See, if you're going to get mad about something, let it be relationship. If you're going to guard, protect, fight over, get angry, have high blood pressure, oh, let it be relationship. Because all, it's all that matters. Not property lines, not money, not... Nothing else. Everything's gone, brother. Everything's gone. The only thing that is eternal is what? It's this throbbing business of relationship, which is to have at its heart this selfless, self-sacrificing, never think about yourself. Give yourself away. Kind of love. So he brings up the subject of the tax collector, which again, limited, the tax collector limited According to the passage, if you love those who love you. That's what the ta tax collector did. See, he set up boundaries and said, hey, the boundary of my love expression, the boundary of who I'm going to care for, the boundary of who I'm going to pour my life out is going to be within the boundary. You have to be within the boundary of loving me. If you love me, I love you. If you step out of that boundary, you're gone. Now think of what he's saying here. And we've gone over this before, but think of it. Here I am. Here's the people who love me. Here's my family. Here's my friends. Here's my clique. Here's the people who love me. Who's outside of that? People they don't know. People, enemy. The enemy would be way over here, the last guy. So I got the last guy, enemy. And you know what the passage is saying? I want you to take the boundary of your Love experience. I want you to break open the boundary from those just from those who just love you. You love them. You love they love you. Hey, that's the boundary. I want you to tear that boundary up, and and I want you to that's limited. You understand? And I, I want you to embrace the guy who's the furthest out here. Well, if I embrace him, there won't be anybody left. No, I won't be able to hate anybody. I got it. There's nobody on beyond that. I know. So that would be unlimited. Which is the love of God. It, it's, isn't it interesting? The Apostle, the Apostle Paul uses this, this, this concept of reconciliation. And if you don't know what reconciliation is it, is, it is the idea of reconciling, meaning we come back. We bring back together. We, we coordinate it together. In other words, we're separated. Now we come back. We hate. Now we love. Uh, I don't forgive, now I forgive. I, and I bring you back into, it's, it's that reconciliation. 
Listen to this verse. This is Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. See, we're, here's God. And here's the, here's the other two members of the Trinity. And here's God's little clique. And here's angels. And, and over here, way at the, That's you. Enemy. I hated him. I cussed his name. I despised him. I rebelled against him. I fought against everything. I fought for my own self. I, I'm the enemy. For if when we were enemies, what, what, what happened? He reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. Do you understand? While you were an enemy, he died for you. He aggressively tore down the, ba- the boundary, opened up the door, man. He aggressively, self-sacrifice, self-giving, never thinking about yourself, give yourself away kind of stuff. That's what he did when you were a... He didn't wait till you shaped up. When you were an enemy. Listen to it again. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life. Oh next verse. 5.11 says, Romans 5.11 For not only that, he says, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So he says, do you know what's happened? Here's God. I'm the enemy. He's opened up the door, the Trinity door, and reached out and brought me into the boundary of his love. Self-sacrificing, self-giving, never think about yourself kind of love. And embraced me and did that while I was still his enemy. And in the midst of being an enemy, he died died for me and literally embraced me and drugged me in and provided for me when I despised him when I didn't want him and now that I've been reconciled to him woo, I have his very life and he's literally merged with me and in the merger I have now been given this reconciliation and he and I are we're tight that's you That's us. That's what he's saying. And he went on to expand that in 2 Corinthians and said this about reconciliation. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their transgressions to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So if you didn't understand that he said oh now that we've been reconciled God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what is my business? Oh, I'm emerged, I am merged with him. And I am to be the very demonstration of the compulsive love of God, which is never think about yourself, selfless, self-sacrificing. Never think about yourself. I demonstrate that to everybody in my world. So I'm trying to say to you, he is trying to say to us, That at the core of life itself, there is this compulsion, this desperate need, this, and you can be as tough as you want to be, man. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm scrawny, I admit that. But man, I'm stubborn as a mule. You knock me down, I'll come back and look you in the face. Hit me again. You can be as tough as you want to be. Man at the core. Now, he moves beyond that. I want you to get this. He moves beyond that. In other words, he taps to that in the concept. There's the compulsion of love, the compensation. This love, self-sacrificing, self-giving, never think about yourself kind of love, has a compensation. See it in the passage? For if you love those who love you, what reward? Have you? And the indication is there is none. There is no reward. Now the word reward is of course used lots of times in the New Testament. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's ending. The wages of sin is death. Wages, it's that word, reward. The reward. What is sin going to give me? Woo! Good times. No, death. Hey, if you want to die, come on, let's sin. That's his whole, and that's the reward thing. In other words, this has consequences. Love, self-sacrificing, self-giving, never think about yourself, has consequences, rewards, benefits. What's the word? Put it in there for yourself. Now, he uses, again, the example of the tax collector. Let me describe the tax collector. Within the, within the world system, there was this little body of people called Jews. And the Jews were so arrogant, so stuck on themselves, so, so, so set apart, so arrogant in their, their own thought process, that they considered themselves, if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. So the world was divided into two groups, Jews, Gentiles. And the, and the Romans said about the Jews in Jesus' day that the Jews were the haters of the human race. The reason, because if you weren't a Jew, they hated you. So they hated everybody except themselves. So here they are in their little cluster of, of, of Jews. Now, in this little cluster of Jews, and they're dominated by Rome at this point, in this little cluster of Jews, a Jewish nation, there is a guy who says, I want to make big bucks. So I'm going to go down to the Romans who are oppressing us, who are squeezing us. We hate their guts. They're not Jews. We despise them. They're using us. They've conquered us. They're taxing us. I'm going to go to this Ro a Roman and I'm going to pay him big dollars to get the opportunity to be the one who collects the taxes from this group and give it to Rome. Now, why would he want to do that? Well, you see, a Roman would come along, the Rome would come along and say, hey, I want, uh, just an example, I want, uh, ten, I want five bucks a head. I want five bucks from every Jew for taxes. But you can collect whatever you want to collect. So being a tax collector, I could collect $10 from you and pocket five and give Rome five. 
dollars. Or I could collect 15 from you and pocket 10. I can make big dollars on this. Do you know how this little cluster fell about those guys? <laughs> I mean, you know how when I use the word tax collector, IRS, you know how you feel now. <laughs> Can you put it in this, in this setting? My stars, they hated them. The tax collector was the cockroach of the society. He was the, whoa. And when a tax collector had a table on this side of the, uh, on this side of the street, you, di you didn't even walk down the street, son. If the tax collector was on fire, you wouldn't waste your spit on him. Because he is worse than, he's worse than the Gentile. That's the example he's using here. And he says, this tax collector, how does he act? Well, he loves those that are in his little group. They love him, he loves them. Well, who loves him? Other tax collectors. <laughs> it wouldn't be many of them. So when he hangs out, who does he hang out with? The people that love him. Who are what? People who are tax collectors. So here they are, hanging out. They're buddies, they're pals. They hang out, they eat pizza together. Here they are. They're in a, and that's all he's got. Because outside of that, he has nothing. And his love is limited to his little, even his family has cut him off. Even his family has ostracized him. He, see, this was really severe. Now this tax collector who loves those who love him, what reward does he have? Well, he has four or five people that whack him on the back and say, hey, you made, a you made a bunch of money. Outside of that, he has nothing. There is no reward. <laughs> he says, is that what you want? And then he expands it. This is phenomenal. He expands it into chapter 6, which I can hardly wait to get to sometime. Chapter 6. And he brings up three subjects in chapter 6. And they are the three essential elements to every world religion. Generous giving, prayer, and spiritual disciplines. He brings up those three issues. And in each one of them, you know what he has to say? Well, look at verse 1, chapter 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward. Hey, I'm, I give lots of money to a, to a cause. What's my reward for that? Well, I stand up and wave my $100 bill and say, Woo, 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 I'll give 100 and everybody goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I say, thank you, thank you. That's my reward, the pat on the back. That's all I get <laughs> in my little group. He goes on to talk about prayer. Look at prayer, verse 5. And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What is their reward? Oh, you're so spiritual. Oh, you pray so well. So here's a little cluster of people hanging around, hanging around this guy who makes this prayer, and we all go, woo, woo, woo. And he, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he feels good about himself because five or six people whack him on the back. That's all he gets. That's the reward. 
He moves on to fasting. Says this guy comes in. His face is haggard. He looks like he's been up two or three nights. Oh, his clothes look like they've been slept in. And oh, he's dragging along like, and what's your problem? I've been fasting. He said, what's the guy's reward? Oh, man. He's so spiritual. He's so, he's so spiritual. See, down at the church, you do all this stuff. You perform all of these. And we all go, what's your reward? Your little group thinks you're really hot. That's your reward. That's as far as it goes. Frankly, folks, if that's all we get out of this, I think I'll go get drunk. Mercy. I mean, that mean that's pathetic. Now, it's interesting, in every one of these, in chapter 6, in every one of these, he goes on to say, look, look at verse 4 now, chapter 6, verse 4. That your, he, he says, don't, the charitable deed thing, hey, don't do it to be seen by men. He says, do it that your charitable deeds may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Wow. Which would you rather have? Me patting you on the back? Oh, you're really doing great. Or the Father. The eternal God himself. The sovereign. Oh, literally opening up heaven and pouring out his reward. See, who would you rather have? Me saying, oh, you are so phenomenal in your prayers. Wow, I just love to hear you pray. Whoa. Just gives me tickles. Would you rather have that? Or would you rather have the Father literally answering your prayers? <laughs> See, what would you rather have? Me whacking you on the back saying, Oh, listen, listen, I'll take you out for dinner after your fasting. You're so spiritual. Would you rather have that? Or would you rather have the Father literally honoring you? with the outpouring of his presence. Now bring that into our passage. Here you love in your little circle. You love those who love you. What, what reward do you get? Well, I got two people who like me. Why don't you open that up? Why don't you open that up and love your enemy? What? Be a son of the Father. What? Be merged with his nature. What? Have his mind and feel like he feels. Whoa. What would be the reward of that one? Why don't you open it? Loving, conditional love. I love you if you love me. Over 
are against, wow, selfless, self-sacrificing, self-giving, love that pours its life out and doesn't think about itself. What would be the reward of that? You could redeem a world. Your family could be changed. Reconciliation could take place in your relationships. The people that you haven't spoken to for years could be, that wall could be broken down. Wow. So, he then comes to this third part of the concept. There's a compulsion idea, which is at the core of your existence. Even the tax collector, see, has this, this basic need for this love thing. Not tickles up and down your spine. Come on, not, oh, I feel good about you. Come on, get off that. This self-sacrificing, self-giving, I'm talking Trinity love stuff. God's love. Core. Everybody has a, we all, oh, if I could have that, if I could have that, if I could have that in my relationships, if I could have that experienced in my heart, if I could, now compulsion is there and that compulsion has benefits, has compensation, has consequences and what's the consequences? It opens up the door which brings you to the third idea, which is choice. You have a choice. Well, manly, what's my choices? Well, he presents to you in the passage two levels. If you love those who love you, there's one level. I love those who love me. That's one level. And then he's presenting in the context of that passage. Even the tax collectors do that, that level. But what the whole tone is, there's another level. What's the other level? Where there's God's love that loves enemies. That opens up the door and is unlimited, self-sacrificing, self-giving, never think about yourself kind of love. So there's that level. So there's this level and there's that level. Now guys, I struggled with this for, for, for months. See, I want a third level. See, there's two, but I want a third one. And I tried to invent it. See, I'm not here. No, I don't just love those people who love me. But I'm not quite. Well, where are you? I'm right here. I don't, I don't love my enemy, but listen, I walked by the cliff the other day and he was standing right on the edge and I didn't push him over. See, I don't love my enemy, but I tolerate him. I don't love my enemy, but hey, I just ignore him. He's just, I just drew a line through his name and he's out of my thought process. I never, hey, I, I, we moved and, and, and he's in that and pfft, it's over. He's gone. He doesn't exist. See, that's, that's... <laughs> But honestly, there isn't a third level, guys. <laughs> and it's irritating, I know. 
So if you and I want to get together, we'll start a new religion and have a third level. But we're going to have to throw the Bible away to do it. That's the problem. I say, I don't know what to do with this. Because there isn't a, what, well, what's the two levels then? There's love those who love you and the self-sacrificing, self-giving, never think about yourself kind of love. You got those two levels. And you have to see this love those who love you. What's the core of that? Selfish love. I love you. Why? Because I benefit. And when I cease to benefit, I'm not going to love you. So you have to benefit me for to be within the realm of my love. Listen, I... I give money to missions for the people in Africa. Why? Makes me feel good. <laughs> oh, come on. Makes you feel good. Yeah. So you don't, it's all about, see that's selfish. Do you realize how much of my love is just driven by my selfishness? I love Joseph, I do, because he's a plumber. I just, you know. <laughs> if he wasn't a plumber, I wouldn't care about him. See how that works? That's, that's selfish at his core. And we live there. This love is self-sacrificing, Self-giving, never think about your... Now, I don't want you to go too big with this. Because this would overwhelm you. It, it overwhelms me. So I don't want to go too big with it. But I want you to go into... Here's the challenge. Here's the choice. I want you to go into your relationships. Hey, I don't know your relationships, so I don't know what this means. I want you to pick one... Relationship. <coughs> that is in the category of selfish. Self-love. I love you, you love me. And out of that, somebody may have stepped out of loving you. And I want you to go to that one relationship. And I want you to look at it. And I want you to come to Jesus and say, Give me the throbbing heart of the Father. I want to be a son in this. And change the way I feel inside about them. Heal the hurt that's within me of what they, I think they did to me. Eliminate the wall in me towards them. And then in the next month, I want you to give me the steps to take <coughs> to embrace them. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I know. 
But do you understand the reward? The consequence? What could happen? What could be? Jesus, I, I don't know what to do with this. I know I want the reward of your presence. I want the reward of your blessing. I want the reward of having your heart and your mind. I want the reward of being a son. I want the reward of your life. And if you just left it at that, but you bring it down into this setting, this, 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 this tax collector setting. <laughs> and Lord, I confess to you, I've been selfish in my love. I've, I've loved those that loved me. I've embraced those that embraced me. I've... Lord, I can't, I can't face all of them. I can't face all of the relationships, but I want to walk into this one. And I want to say to you, merge with me in this one relationship. Merge with me in my heart and life. In this relationship, merge in my mind and my heart. Take down the... Heal whatever needs to be healed in me. Do whatever needs to be done in me. Bring to death the selfishness that sets up the wall. Tear all of that down. And bring me into reconciliation with yourself and others. That I might be rewarded by being a son of God who lets it rain on the just and on the unjust and the sun to shine on the good and the evil. Make me a lover. Our altar's open for you. Don't mess with this. Just go on and be a tax collector and live on that level. And the pat on the back will be your reward. And you'll get what you get. But oh, would you risk it? Would you risk openness? Would you risk surrender? Would you risk inviting him in to the intimate hurts of your system? Would you let him readjust, restructure? Would you let him move within your life? Just some moments of seeking. Be obedient. <clears throat>